Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. So we begin with the first letter of Paul to Timothy, the sixth chapter, beginning with the 11th verse. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Hey, can we just give it up for the worship team here? Man, oh man. Absolutely phenomenal. I am so excited after hearing that last praise song that you guys did. I I just, you guys are in trouble because it just winds me up. Bring it on, Ted says. All right, we'll see how this goes. So uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we actually have, uh, we have four pastors, and one of the cool things about New King is you get to hear from each of us at different times. You get a different perspective. I'm the old guy. I've got the gray hair, the white hair, all that kind of thing. So I have a perspective of living for a long time. That's what I bring. I'm not sure what else. Welcome if you're a visitor. Glad to have you here. We are in the book of 1 Timothy. We're almost done. There's two sermons left today and next week, and we'll be finished with that. Now, before I really get going, we have to stop. Where are we in 1 Timothy? And if you're a visitor here, your first time, you'll appreciate this because I want to give you the reason for his writing. And back in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul tells this young pastor, this young man, he's a child of the faith. He's Paul's protege. He's like a son to him. He says, if I delay, Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. How to behave, how to live, how to conduct yourself in the church. That's why he wrote, right? This is what the letter is all about. 
And then he says something amazing. Verse 16, great indeed, we confess, he says, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the life of our Lord and Savior. The key to good conduct in the church of the living God is to be devoted to Jesus. When you're devoted to Jesus, that's what godliness, godliness means, to be devoted. It's not goodliness. It's not about being good. It's about being devoted. When you are devoted, guess what? Your conduct and the way you live will almost take care of itself. It's not about keeping rules and regulations. It's about loving our dear Savior. And the more we understand that, the more we appropriate that, the better our conduct will be. Yes? That's what Timothy is all about. Right? You with me on all that? So now we're in chapter 6. Last chapter, and there's really two parts to it. The first part talks about false teachers and their view of money. As Arabella said, it kind of ends up with this, with this warning about money. So it begins in verse 2, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches, verse 3, a different doctrine, and it goes on and it talks about false teachers, and it talks about their view of money, which is wrong. The second half of the chapter, which begins in verse 11, talks about a good teacher. Who is that good teacher? It's Tim, our friend Tim, Timothy. He's the good teacher. And then at the end, the sermon we're going to have next week, which starts at verse 17, is about a good view of money, a good teaching on money, what to do with our money, right? Bad teaching, bad view, good teacher, good view. That's what chapter 6 is all about. And then at the very end, he gives this great, great charge. Oh, Timothy, he says, guard the deposit. We'll talk about that next week. So um, what I hope to do today, if I live through this, you never know at my age, I want to just go through this little passage and tell you what it means and then, as usual, draw a couple conclusions at the end that we can take away, that we can go out and we can, and we can just take with us. So let's pray. Father God, help me. Father God, help me to glorify our dear Savior Jesus this morning as I walk us through this passage. Help me, Father. Give me the words. Let your Holy Spirit work through me. And let us have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, Paul says, O man of God, that's an interesting term. It's borrowed from the Old Testament. Moses was called O man of God. Elijah was called O man of God. Elisha was called O man of God. And there was a couple others. It's a term of encouragement that centers on the identity 
O man of God. This is who you are. And so Paul is speaking to this young protege, Timothy, and he says, but you, O man of God, you, O pastor of the church at Ephesus, you, elder of the church of Ephesus, shepherd of the souls of Ephesus, teacher of God's word at Ephesus, I have something to say to you. Well, who is this Timothy that Paul is saying, oh, you man of God? As I said, he's a young man. He's a, he's a man that Paul loved as a son. He has great affection for him. Paul has poured into him. Paul has traveled with him. They know each other really well. Paul says, you're my true child of the faith. Paul's protege, as I mentioned. He's a pastor, and he has a charge. And most of the charge has to do with standing against false teaching. Chapter after chapter, section after section talked about that. Standing against it and silencing it. Hard, difficult, stressful work. Remember a couple weeks ago, Nathan talked about that little funny verse. Hey, listen, uh, Timothy, verse 23 of chapter 5, don't drink water only, take a little wine um, for your stomach um, and your frequent ailments. I think Timothy was having ulcers. I think he was sick to death over everything. I think he was stressed beyond imaginable. He, he, and Paul says, listen, have a little drink before you go to bed, <laughs> right? Have a little glass of wine to help you. You need to, you need to relax a little bit. I think he was stressed out about all this because it's hard work. A young man going into a congregation where you have strong, forceful, false teachers. Very difficult. So that's who Timothy is. And now Paul pivots. Notice what he does here. He pivots from the false teachers that he was talking about and their perversion of money to the true teacher, his true child of the faith, Timothy. But, he says, that's the pivot. You know it's a pivot. But as for you, O man of God. See the pivot? From the false now to the true. But as for you, you didn't realize I could talk for 10 minutes just about the word but. I could. We'll never get through it. But as for you, O man of God, and he says something. Run away. Run Flee. As Lucius said, there's these action verbs that come one after another after another. Run. Flee, he says. From what? Run away from what? The false teaching about money. That's the context. Run away from that. And what is this false teaching? Just to refresh our memories, look at verse 6 or the end of verse 5, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You're going to make money off of Jesus. What a terrible thing. It's a perverted message. 
And we call it today the prosperity gospel. Nothing new under the sun. It is exceedingly wicked. It's a complete misunderstanding of the old covenant and the new covenant. It preys particularly on the poor and the destitute who live in desperation. And a pastor comes in driving his Mercedes with a big ring, and he says, follow the Lord, and he's going to make you rich. And people flock to him. It's false. It's wrong. It's wicked. Run from that. Second, what happens? Look at verses 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, a trap into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves through with many pangs, many sorrows. The language couldn't be grimmer. It is a path of destruction and pain and sorrow. Run, Paul says Timothy, from this. Then he says something else. Flee these things, but then he says pursue. So he's to run away from something, turn, and then run the other way, and not just run blindly, but to pursue something, to run after something, to run away from the poor teaching, to run towards six things. And Paul names them off. Pursue righteousness, godliness. Well, there's that word again, godliness. Faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. He says, run towards these things. Pursue them. Run after these things. Put your energy into going after this and not that. Righteousness. Conduct in accord with God's will and is pleasing to him. Things that we do that please God and make him happy. Our conduct is called righteous, righteousness, according to his will, what he wants us to do. We're to pursue that. How do we do it? How do we get the energy to do it? Godliness comes second. Our devotion to God, our devotion to Jesus is what helps us be righteous. It helps with our conduct. The third thing he says Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. (laughs) Trust God. Believe him at his word. Go into the Bible and read the great promises of God and believe them. Believe them. Not theoretically, but practically. In your life, believe God. And then love. The caring affection for God and for each other. 
I often talk about community groups, and community groups is about depth. Depth in knowing Jesus more deeply, depth in knowing each other more deeply. You go to a community group, and after two weeks, you love each other. I can't say it any other way. You are drawn together over the person of Jesus, and you become deeper, and you go away, and it's like, how many times do I drive to a community group? It's like, ah, oh, I don't want to go. I'm tired. I don't I come away. Is this you? It's me. I come away every single time. Oh, my God, I'm so happy that I went. I love these people. I love my Jesus. It's a time of encouragement. Love. Pursue it. Paul says, steadfastness. Not wavering. Not being blown about by every wind of doctrine. Endurance. Having an anchor. Knowing your anchor. Using your anchor. We have an anchor for the soul. Are you fixed on it? Perseverance. Steadfastness. Ah, Gentleness. We in our society think of gentle people as being weak. It's not weakness. It's, it's a strength that has sensitivity and empathy. It's a strength, strength to come alongside somebody and put your arm around them, and lift them. The strength is in lifting them gently and humbly and sharing their burden. Yeah? Paul says pursue that. Pursue that. All these six things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight, he says, the next verse. The Christian life is a fight. It's not easy. It's a struggle. It's hard. Look at Timothy. He was fighting against these false teachers. It wasn't easy. He was probably sick to his stomach about it. He probably couldn't sleep at night. It's hard to fight. What are we fighting for? What does Paul say we're fighting for? Each other? Fight the good fight of the faith. Uh oh. Fight the good fight of the faith. Ever been in a fight? Like a fist fight? Yeah? Jeremy has. Teramisha, no, so okay. I got in a fight. Boy, I had a, I had a lot of anger when I was growing up, before I was saved. It's not like in the movies. Last fight I got in was, of course, over a girl. And, and we began to sock each other. And when you hit somebody in the face, your, your, your knuckles split right open. It hurts. I mean, I couldn't open my hands for about a week afterwards. And immediately, within about 30 seconds, you're spent. Fatigue comes over you, and you, you're just, you can't do it anymore. And you watch the movies, and they're just, you know, and they go on for hours and all that. So, so that wasn't a good fight. Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. What does that mean? Fight the good fight of the faith. 
At stake is the faith, the message, the sound doctrine, the struggle to be the church, the pillar and buttress of the truth, the struggle against false teachers and false doctrine. Let me remind you of chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says to Timothy, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. See, the faith and the good doctrine have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Train yourself for godliness. See what's coming out. It's all the same thing. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior. It's about the faith. It's about the Savior. And it's a good, good fight that we're in. Don't let anybody tell you anything else. It's a good fight because it has to do with our Jesus, our Savior, our confession. Now verse uh, 12, in the middle, he says something else. Take hold. The fight's not a fist fight. It's a wrestling match. Yeah? Take hold. Take hold. I love it. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. It reminds me of Jacob's wrestling match, yeah, in the Old Testament, where he wrestles with this angel of God all night long, and he won't let go. He's tenacious. See, we're not to go out and wrestle Satan and get him in a holy headlock, are we? No, that's not what we're to wrestle. We're to grab a hold of God, and we're to hold on with all that we have. Jacob did that. And at the end, the man of God says, the angel of God says, I, let me go. And Jacob says, I won't until you bless me. Remember that, that little story? I won't until you bless me. And uh, Jacob gets a blessing himself. His name is changed to Israel, the one that wrestles with God. You know, our Christian life, we wrestle with things that are difficult for us, difficult doctrines, difficult things. Don't run away from your faith. Hold on to it. Hold on to God. Take hold, be proactive, be aggressive, be tenacious. And what is it? Grab hold of eternity. What does he say here? Take hold of the eternal life. We are to live radically in light of the age to come. Because how we live today, while we're in these bodies, while we're on this earth, while we're here, affects the life to come. 
it is vitally and utterly important. We've got to take hold of it. And that gets into next week's sermon, too. Uh, it talks about um, be rich in good things, be generous, verse 19, storing up treasure for themselves as the good foundation for the future, for eternal life. And then uh, as it goes on, it says, uh, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What's Paul referring to here and why? His good confession before many witnesses. Were you, were you here at New King last week? Yeah, a few people were. What happened right over here? The floor opens up and hot water appears. <laughs> and people confess their Lord and Savior Jesus and they go down into the water and they come up. They identify with the death of Christ and with the resurrection of life. And they do it before whom? A bunch of witnesses. Every baptism at New King, my heart just soars to see people standing before God and church, friends and family, confessing Jesus. And Paul says, remember. Remember it. It is so good for us to look back and say, yeah, I did that. I stood before heaven and earth and I confessed Jesus publicly and I went down into the water and I came back up. It's an encouragement. It's one of the ways that we do self-talk. We talk to ourselves and we say, yeah, I know I'm a little discouraged, but I remember that time. For me, it was in Lake Champlain, down in a little town called Panton, where I live, where I went out in the water. And before friends and family and the public, I confessed my Savior, Jesus. Remember your confession. You're discouraged, think back. And then think about where God has brought you. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, about which you had made the confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now we come to this next section, verses 13 or 14. And Paul has this new charge for Timothy. He says in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment. So I charge you, dot, 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 to keep the commandment. So I want to focus there first. What is the charge? To keep the commandment, and what does it say? Unstained and free from reproach. Unstained. What does that mean? Free from reproach. Unstained. Free, what, keep what commandment? the Christian faith, the body of Christian teaching that, that Paul is talking about throughout this whole letter. Recall, fight the good fight through the faith. Keep the commandment. Keep the teachings. Keep the sound doctrine. Keep these things. The body of teaching associated with the gospel and then notice down in verse 20 when Paul gives his final charge 
he says, oh, Timothy, he calls it something else. He says, guard the deposit. Guard the deposit. So it's the deposit of teaching. It's all the, the, the stuff surrounding the gospel and the ethical teaching. And how do we do that? How do we guard the deposit? How do we, how do we keep it unstained and free from reproach? How do we do that? Read 1 Timothy. Read 1 Timothy. That's what Timothy's all about. We've got to teach sound doctrine. We've got to stop false teachers. We've got to train ourselves. We've got to have good leaders, elders, and deacons. We've got to have a good view of uh, our male and female roles. Nobody's looking at me. I know how that works. You don't have to apologize. She's much cuter than I will ever be. We've got, to, we've got to understand and maintain good male and female roles. We've got to re- respect older and younger people. We've got to take care of widows. We've got to pay our pastors. We've got to be very, very, very careful with money. See, this is what Timothy is all about. It's about this godliness, this good conduct that keeps us focused on our Savior and all these other things will drop away. It's hard, it's difficult, but we've got to have that focus. So Paul says, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. My brothers and sisters, here at New King, men and women of God. We need to keep. We need to jealously guard the gospel of Jesus from all stain, from all reproach. This is the fight that we're in, and it's a good fight. How do we do it? We have resources. So Paul mentions uh, God and Jesus in, in verse 13. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus. And it talks about his testimony before Pilate. So first of all, let's talk about God for a minute. He is the one that um, gives life to all things. He is the source of life. He is the creator God who created the universe and gives life. He is the sustainer. He is the life giver. He is the God of resurrection. That's who he is. And Paul says, I charge you before him. I name him, I call him out, and I tell you what he's like. He gives life. And then he says, Christ Jesus, who made a good confession before Pilate. And the best place to look for that is John 18. There's a whole section where Jesus meets before Pilate. We won't take time to turn to it. But Jesus gives a good confession. He's our example, our model, our prototype. 
the faithful one who gave a good confession. You see, we're not left with something theoretical to try to live up to. We're left with a man. God Jesus, who became man and dwelt among us and lived a life that was hard and difficult and fought the good fight and confessed the good confession. We have an example. God, the sustainer, the life giver, Jesus, the great example. But there's more to it, right? So it says, Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession to keep the commandment unstained until, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The appearing. The word in the Greek is epiphany. You've probably heard that word before. Epiphany. The long-awaited display of the glory of Jesus. That is what Paul is talking about. How does it help? When Paul calls that out until, when he says that phrase, until the appearing, how does that help, Timothy? How does that help you? Number one. There's an end to the fight, right? It's not for eternity. It's not forever. It may seem like it, but there's an end. There's an end to fighting the good fight. And what is that end? (laughs) Jesus is victorious. We're not backing a loser. We're backing the victor. (laughs) There is no question about that. Jesus is victorious. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Amen? Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, we are backing a winner. (laughs) And we'll be victorious with him. That's what Paul's saying. Yeah, 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 it's a fight now. Here's the end. Jesus comes in glory. Every eye will, and we're with him. Romans 8 talks about how all creation groans desiring to be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of who? <laughs> the children of God. That's us. We will be with him In glory, we will share in his victory because of his work on the cross, not because of anything that we've done, right? We will be with him. Sometimes we say the word epiphany. We say, oh, today I had an epiphany. And what do we mean? We mean all of a sudden, something that was really difficult or hard or strange to us came clear. It's a moment of complete understanding. Oh, yeah, I get it. When we see Jesus in the glory, we will say, I get it. I understand what my life was like. I understand the fight I went through. I understand the sorrows that I suffered. I get it now. I understand. We don't now. We see through a glass dimly. But then, what does Paul say? Face to face. We will have that moment of understanding. And Paul holds that out. 
to Timothy. It is the restoration of all things, the new heavens and the new earth. Every tear will be wiped away, and we will see his And what about God? Well, this last portion talks about him, doesn't it? Look at this unbelievable blessing that we have here in these scriptures. Verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So he talks about God the Father. The epiphany, the appearing of Jesus will be when God says it. See, God is in control of time and space. You and I don't know the day or the hour, and it's foolish to try to figure it out. Only God does because he is the only sovereign. He is the only one in control. When things are out of control, we know that God is in control. It's his timing. It's his timing, yeah? He is the blessed and only, only sovereign. The King of kings and Lord of lords, he is invincible. I'm going to give you some I words because I had fun with this. He is, number one, he is invincible. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is immortal who alone has immortality. You want to live forever? There's only one name under heaven. You go to God. He is immortal. And then, who dwells in unapproachable light? That means he is utterly incorruptible. We look at leaders today. I don't care if it's the leader of a company or the leader of a country. It seems like everybody's corrupt. I mean, it just in, corruption invades every institution that we have. God is light, and in him dwells no darkness. He is incorruptible. He is unapproachable. You can't go and whisper in his ear, hey, no. (laughs) He is incorruptible. You see that? Invincible, immortal, incorruptible. He's invisible. What do you mean invisible? Whom no one has ever seen or can see. This speaks of God's otherness. Otherness. He is so far different than what you and I can comprehend that we can only use metaphors to figure him out. He is so, he lives in a dimension or dimensions that we can't even fathom. He is so far away from us in a sense that our minds cannot comprehend him in any possible way. But there's a verse 
in John 1.18 that says, No one has ever seen God. The only God, His Son, He has made Him known. God sent the Son to tell us and show us about Himself. Jesus says, You want the Father? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. So even though he dwells in otherness and no one has seen him at any time and he's invisible, the Son has told him out. And to him, to the Father, be honor and eternal dominion forever. So three quick takeaways. No Holy Spirit. Why no Holy Spirit in this section? Why isn't the Holy Spirit? I I was just kind of thinking, why doesn't the Holy Spirit get brought in? It's not mentioned in the paragraph. But if you look at the six virtues in verse 11, remember those? uh, Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You think of something. You think of the gifts of the Spirit, don't you? Yeah? Galatians chapter 5. You think of those things. It comes to mind. And, and 1 Timothy says, so in Galatians 5, it says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's work within you produces these fruits, yeah? Timothy says, run after them, pursue them. So the question is, which is it? Are we supposed to just wait for God to produce fruit in us, or do we run after? Whose work is it? Ever wonder that? It's both. <laughs> you know the answer. It's both. Do we receive these things, or do we, do we go after these things? It's both. We actively pursue the virtues because it is the Holy Spirit within us to produce them. He is working within us to produce them, therefore we pursue. So it's both. The work of the Spirit is not a call for passive behavior, to sit back and to let God work. Some people say, oh, just let go and let God. I don't see that in the New Testament so much. I see to pursue things. The work of the Spirit is the basis for our pursuit of godliness. Philippians 2 says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you're to do it. You're to work it out. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's both. We're to work out our salvation because God's working in us. We're to have the fruits of the Spirit and enjoy them and pursue them at the same time. This verse also, this passage also talks about uh, point number two, um, repentance. Remember I said you, you're, you're running, to, no, don't run towards that, run over here. Well, that's what repentance really is, to turn and have a change of mind, to flee from the bad and pursue the good. And it applies to the moment of our salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says to that, Paul says to them, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. So we're coming up on... Uh, Reformation Day in a couple days. And Reformation Day, um, the Reformation began when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. You know what the number one 
theses? Now, a thesis is a, is a statement of faith. You know what the first one was? The very first one, number one, says this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So sometimes we talk about repentance being the moment when we turn to God and believed. Repentance should be our entire life. Every day turning from sin. Every day trusting in the good news that Jesus saves sinners. It's not a one-time inaugural experience, but the daily subsistence of Christian life. The gospel is for every day, for every moment of every day. Repentance is to be the Christian's continual posture. Last point. We don't do all this just to become better people. No. We don't do it to advance ourselves in some way. We don't do it to be morally superior to others. We don't do it so God will love us more. We don't do it to get something from God. No, 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 none of that. Now listen carefully. We do it because the majesty and beauty of the king captures our hearts and compels us. That's what godliness is, being so enamored with the person of Jesus, who he is and what he did, that it changes everything about us. That's what we do it. (sighs) Somehow God breaks into our world of sin and selfishness, and we get a glimpse of another dimension, the otherness of God, of purity and sacrifice and glory. And what does it do? We want more. We can't get enough. The gospel transforms our lives, and we flee from sin, and we run to our Savior because he is beautiful. And we fight the good fight for him. And we take hold of him and we won't let him go. Because he won't let us go. And we confess him. And we're jealous of his person and his work so that the gospel may be unstained and free from reproach. Because his beauty and his majesty captivates our hearts. Simon Peter says to Jesus in in John 6, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. O men and women of New King, I charge you, keep the commandment unstained, free from reproach until the the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Please stand. Please stand. He 
Who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable life, whom no one has seen or can see? To him be honor and dominion. Amen.